Hi, I'm Mark Brody, and this is the Friday Newscap Podcast. Each week, we review the biggest stories with experts, reporters, and commentators to put the news in perspective. Here's this week's episode. But I have a very clear message for anyone using the southern border for staged political events. Don't come to Arizona. Take your political theater to Texas. Do not bring it to my state. We have acted like crabs in a bucket, letting the perfect be the enemy of the good, tearing down real attempts at election reform. We've done it over and over again, and we've done it to ourselves. But that ends today. I feel it's like our duty to actually try to remove this guy because I think he is a danger and I think what he's doing is causing irreparable harm and and thus our duty is to go forward. Knowing that teachers get a $4,000 raise, I, I think that's a, a no-brainer to most voters. Uh, so I'm not too worried about what happens there. You can't take it for granted. We'll have a plan. Um, I do become much more worried about it when, when if we were to adopt your amendment. Especially with an election cycle coming up, major events coming up, and to keep continuity with the agency and put the employees' minds at ease, as well as the community's minds at ease. And joining me to talk about the future of a border, the failure of a border security bill to even make it to debate in the U.S. Senate, a compromise on election issues in the state legislature and more are Paul Bentz of High Ground. Good morning, Paul. Good morning. And Mike Hayner of Lumen Strategies making his newscap debut. Hey, Mike. Good morning. How are you? Doing all right. So, guys, let's start in D.C., where we heard uh, just a moment ago from uh, Senator Kirsten Cinema, clearly not thrilled with the outcome of uh, of the border security bill that she helped negotiate. Paul, is this a case of Republicans not being able to take yes for an answer? Absolutely. I mean, I think one of the things that Bob Robb pointed out is that a year ago, the Republicans pushed a very harsh strict border enforcement bill saying things were broken and now they're pushing back against the bipartisan proposal claiming suddenly that things are fine if the president just used what he had in place uh, in order to enforce the law. They're really speaking out of both sides of their mouth. But this is about scoring political points. They know immigration and the border is a big deal for Republicans going into this presidential election and they want to hold on to that as a topic to talk about. I mean, Mike, safe to say that this was basically due to President Trump. Is that giving him too much credit here? Oh, no, not at all. I think it's all due to President Trump and and his uh, hold on the Republican Party at this point is unquestioned. And so if he says vote for it, they're voting for it. If he says they're vote against it, they will vote against it. And that's what they did. Does this give Democrats an opportunity to use immigration for their side as an election issue to say, hey, look, you know, Republicans were saying this is a problem, this is a problem, it's a crisis, it's a crisis. We offered a solution. And then suddenly, as Senator Sinema said in her in her floor speech, suddenly it's not a crisis anymore. Yeah. And as Paul said, this is um, kind of political theater, right? So so from a campaign standpoint, it's a problem. But to solve it, we don't want to do that. So we want to keep it as a campaign problem. So, again, I think Democrats could use this as an opportunity to say, we have a fix. We're going to end catch and release. We're going to we're, we're going to close the border if migration surges. Th- this is uh, an opportunity for Democrats to, to take the issue and actually do something positive with it. Paul, do you think Republicans have left themselves vulnerable on, on this issue in some way? I do, because now Democrats can say, look, this is the toughest amount of border security or border reform that we've seen probably in about 40 years. We offered real solutions. We made compromises. You said this is a problem. 
We put these uh, proposals in place and you're rejecting them. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if they can thread that needle, if that narrative, because they're really trying to tack this, you know, when you talk about the what they tried to do with the Secretary of Defense or the Secretary of Homeland Security and yeah. other items. Um, they really are trying to make this a crisis. But then when offered a solution, they didn't take it. It'll be Interesting to see if Democrats can run with that and say, look, we offered a solution and they won't take it. Um, I, I don't know if that'll stick, but that's where they're going to go. We heard uh, in in the top here, uh, State Representative Alexander Colladin talking about uh, letting the perfect be the enemy of the good as it relates to an election uh, calendar fix, which we'll talk about in, in a couple of minutes. Paul, I wonder, like, is this a situation, this bill, where that was also the case, where at least for some senators, like, it it just wasn't enough. And even though they got some of what they wanted, they couldn't say yes because they didn't get enough of what they wanted? Well, I think they're going to say that. I'm not sure that's really what it is. I think really what it is is that they don't want to lose this issue and um, potentially tying it with Ukraine and some of the other things to also make it a little bit less palatable for them. But it was real reform. It was real solutions there. I think you saw Senator Sinema, why she's so frustrated is because I think this was a big issue for her. I think she is one of the very unique people that could bring people together to solve this problem. And I think she came with a, a solution that really was bipartisan in nature and it's roundly rejected, doesn't even get to be debated um, because of the politics involved. All right. So, Mike, let's talk about the politics involved. And, of course, we're still waiting on Senator Cinema to announce whether or not she's going to seek reelection. Does the failure of this bill to not only become law, but to even make it to debate, does that impact her decision in any way, do you think? I don't think it impacts her decision. Uh, Senator Cinema, I, I believe, is going to do what's in the best interest of Arizona. And She's going to make her decision based off of what she wants to do moving forward. But I don't think that this bill in particular is going to going to change her decision making process. Do you think she runs? At the end of the day, I think she does. Paul, what do you think? I'm not sure if she runs. I think if this had passed or if we had the debate about it, and this is a big feather in her cap and one of the big things that she could push for and really deliver once again like she's done on some of the Biden agenda and other things that she's been the linchpin on the CHIPS Act and a wide variety of other solutions that she can take credit for and being a big part of. Had she been able to uh, negotiate the solution, I think this would have been a huge win for her in kicking off her campaign. Um, that being said, I don't think it's essential for her run, but I think it would have been a really nice boost to the start of a run. All right. So, Paul, you'd mentioned uh, Alejandro Mayorkas, the direct, the secretary of the Department of Homeland Security. The House uh, voted to try to uh, impeach him this week. That vote failed. Uh, we heard from Andy Biggs saying, you know, we're, we got to keep doing it. You know, Biggs is saying this guy's a danger. He's not doing his job. What do you make of the fact that the House couldn't that they couldn't muster the votes and that they still put it up for a vote? Uh, maybe they knew it was going to fail. Maybe they didn't, but they still put it up for a vote. I mean, I think it goes into what we saw, the ongoing efforts of the Republican Party to purify itself from anybody that they don't necessarily agree with or people who they don't deem as MAGA enough. I also uh, heard that Congressman Biggs also recently endorsed the primary opponent of one of his fellow congressmen. And I think it's just this level here. We saw it at the Republican Party meeting, the state meeting where they uh, ate their own. I, I think it's this ongoing effort to uh, call down the list to just the people who they think are the most loyal and 
Um, this really, you know, gave them an opportunity to do that once again. I, I think, again, it's political theater here, just trying to point to the border problem. It's funny that they're doing this at the same time while they're not even allowing debate on a border bill. There does not appear to be any desire to actually legislate or find compromise. It's just opportunities to grandstand. Well, and Mike, it's pretty clear that the Senate was not going to vote to remove him. So I'm curious what you make of the fact that it was put up for a vote and that the Republicans couldn't muster the votes on this one. Well, it shows a, a lack of leadership on the on the part of the speaker. Uh, you don't you don't bring something to the floor that doesn't have the votes. That's just kind of rule number one of of legislating. And so, again, as Paul said, it's political theater. They want to impeach Mayorkas, but they don't want to pass a border bill that would help fix the problem. So you, you're not doing your job, but we're not doing our job by actually passing something that gives you the tools that that we think you need to actually do this. Well, and, and we keep seeing polls that suggest that immigration, especially among Republican voters, is the top or one of the top couple of issues. Do these two incidents from this week, do, do, how do those play into how voters perceive the immigration issues between now and, you know, and, and let's say October, November? I'm not sure that anything changes the perception of immigration over the next six months or so. Again, the the reality is they're going to campaign on as if they didn't try to stop that from happening. It's going to be it's a problem. It's a problem. And and they can't fix it. That's what you know, that's what the messaging is going to be. Do you guys both expect to see immigration as a big campaign issue in terms of we heard Senator Sinema say, if you want to do your photo ops at the border, don't do it in Arizona. There's still going to be photo ops in Arizona, right? Lots yeah. of cowboy hats, lots of cowboy <laughs> boots, a lot of people touring the border. I mean, we're going to see a lot of people come and tour the border and talk a lot about it. I think when the president, former president, pardon me, comes to town, it will be what he wants to talk about. Trump will want to – it'll be part of the Blame Biden tour. And, you know, the former president will have the advantage now of having an opponent. He does best when he gets to attack other people. And now not only does he have a Democratic president, but in the state he's got a Democratic governor. And so I think he'll come with – both guns blazing, just to criticize and blame everybody that's not himself. Do we see former President Trump in a cowboy hat, do you think, Paul? I don't think the hair will handle that, but I do think some of the other folks will definitely be donning a cowboy hat. Definitely that the hair rejects a hat. Jeez, okay. <laughs> oh, okay. So, guys, let's talk about a, a bill that actually was able to be voted on in Arizona uh, this week, a compromise bill that won almost unanimous support. This was uh, dealing with uh, issues related to the election calendar. Uh, county election officials have been sort of sounding the alarm on this for a few months now. And with the deadline of today, the governor says she's going to, to sign this bill into law. Mike, we heard earlier in the week that maybe there wasn't going to be a compromise. The sides seemed pretty far apart. How did this come together seemingly overnight? Well, like a lot of things legislatively, you know, going back to the to the immigration package, what you have to do in these situations when you need a, a, a supermajority, because, again, they needed 20 votes in the Senate and 40 in the right. House, you have to continue to talk and communicate. And that's what the governor's office did. That's what uh, uh, the legislative side did, both Republican and Democrat, Democratic legislators coming together with the governor's office and not giving up. Um, there are always challenges. There are always going to be road, you know, kind of bumps in the road along the way. But ultimately, it's, it's continuing to, to talk and find a way to, to come to a solution. And that's what they did.
Paul, it's unusual, it seems to me, to have a bill of this magnitude that has the potential to be contentious like election-related issues can be, that you have legislative Republicans, you have the governor, you have uh, advocacy groups, left-leaning advocacy groups, you have the chairman of the county board of supervisors, a Republican, all saying this is great, this is a win. Well, a credit to the governor because uh, she did say earlier in the week that it was going to be dead on arrival with some of these proposals. They certainly made some compromises here. Moving the election date up a week is going to be interesting because it will have ripple effects that I don't think people are thinking about right now. Me, myself, I'm already having to start to mentally prepare that everything's going to be moved up a week. Yeah. Um, so from just a strategy planning perspective. On the other thing, uh, the bright side is they did codify a lot to do with checking early ballots. And so I hope that means – that this effort among some Republicans to try to ban early voting, get rid of it completely, which is incredibly – early voting is incredibly popular and used by more than 80 percent of the electorate. Hopefully we're past that now. If they, if they want to codify actually how you're supposed to review them, maybe that means that they do think they're good and they do want them in this general election. So, Mike, we talked before the break about the fact that the primary election will be moved up by about a week. What kind of impact does that have on candidates and their campaigns? It shouldn't have a big impact. A week isn't that long in the big scheme of things. Obviously, um, as a sitting legislator, you're going to want to get out of session and and be able to campaign, um, which was was interesting that they were talking about a May primary for a while. Yeah. And, and again, that would that would create, I think, a lot more challenges. But this moving it just one week, I don't think is going to create that many new problems for candidates or or uh, sitting elected officials who are running in a primary. Paul, would you agree with that? And I mean, you work on on campaigns sometimes. So like, is this is this something that folks are like, are, are you guys looking at your calendars and trying to adjust strategies that you have that you had planned for X week that now has to be a little earlier? Sure. I mean, when it comes to compliance, when it comes to uh, I'm not sure if it will impact when they have to file their campaign finance reports. Um, the signature gap, you know, the signature deadlines. Uh, there's some statutory about when, you know, they're based on X number of days. Um, before the election. So it'll be interesting to see how some of that cascades down. In the grand scheme of things, I don't think it's a big deal. It was a slightly bigger deal when we moved the primary. It used to be, you know, the first week of September. Right. And then it was sort of mid-August. Then it was early August. And now we're talking about late July. Um, in the long run, it would be interesting, and I think not in this discussion where it was huge pressure, to have a discussion of where the best time to have the primary is. I don't think necessarily in May is a bad idea. Um, but, you know, we wouldn't have been able to do it this year. But uh, giving more space for the general election candidates to be able to discuss and talk, you know, the, instead of the sprint we have now. Right now, you win your primary and then you have to sprint to the general election because early voting is only a couple weeks, you know, away. Um, it would be interesting to have that happen. I don't think it will be a big impact this year. But it okay. is – people need to bear in mind that it is not where they, the election – Till this point has not posted where it's going to be. Right. So, Mike, we heard uh, a lot of especially Republicans talking about like the good election integrity uh, measures that are in this bill, things like signature verification and and some other things. Does this mean that we're not going to be hearing about irregularities and rigged elections and stolen elections, at least in Arizona in 2024? That's a hopeful proposition. (laughs) (laughs) But but I doubt it. Again, um, with with the the way that elections have happened over the last couple of years, um, I think that that narrative will continue depending on who wins or who loses. Is that a harder argument for republic, especially Republicans, to make since they were talking this week about all these great things that they got in this bill that will make elections more secure? 
I think it'll be more difficult, especially with a narrow presidential election. You got they got everything that they wanted for with it comes to verification for a recount in what they're anticipating to be a very close presidential election. There's no excuse at this point. They got what they wanted for that. They're going to meet the deadline that they needed to meet to make sure that everything could be done prior to the December what 18th deadline. So now they've got everything that they have. So there, there's no excuse at this point. If they, they want to challenge it or if they think it's really close, um, they allegedly got the tools that they wanted to accomplish that. All right. So, Mike, this week, another thing at the state capitol that is moving along is a plan uh, to extend Proposition 123. This was the voter-approved measure from a few years back that uh, took a little more money out of the state land trust to give to uh, education. There are two competing plans. We've talked about this. The governor has a plan that takes more money out and divides it among different more groups. Uh, legislative Republicans have a plan that uh, takes a little less than the governor wants and just gives raises to teachers. Both would require voter approval. The legislative Republican plan is moving through the legislature, started that process this week. Does it seem as though there is going to be negotiation on this between the governor's office and the legislature? Or or do you think the Republicans are just going to go with their plan and and see what voters think of it? I think similar to to this election issue, at, at some point there will be a discussion between the governor's office and legislative Democrats and Republicans about what the right balance is for uh, Prop 123 renewal. And so I do think that there will be discussions between them and you'll see some compromise likely on both sides to, to, to actually get something to the ballot that probably is just a one question issue rather than a two question issue. Because as anyone who does campaigns would know, asking the voters to, to vote on two separate issues related is always harder than just doing one. Yeah. Well, and and Paul, we should point out that, you know, the legislature doesn't need the governor on this one, right? They can approve something, send it to the ballot without the governor's signature or veto. But what a lot of Democrats are saying is, you know, when Prop 123 initially passed, it barely passed and needed everybody supporting it. So, like, given that, does that sort of inform the discussion that, like, if Republicans in the legislature, for example, want the governor to be out there campaigning for it. Maybe they need to give her a little bit of what she wants. Absolutely. I mean, going all the way back to the A for Arizona effort years ago and others, Prop 208, when you don't have the governor in favor of your education initiative, it's very challenging to pass it. It's not impossible, but it's very challenging. You want everybody on the same page. Um, especially as we're facing a state budget shortfall here. I think it's important to note with Republicans also wanting to keep their ESA vouchers in place that they need to find ways to increase education funding. The majority of the electorate still think that um, schools are underfunded and teachers are underpaid. But there's another part of this, and that's the staff associated with it as well. The, the other people that make a school work, there is a large group of individuals that are critical and essential to making a school function and just limiting it just to teachers leaves those folks in a, in a different spot that can be very challenging. I mean, every school district that I've spoken to is challenged to find bus drivers, to find support staff, to find that special ed teachers. Those are all things that really need to be addressed as well. So bringing people together to find some sort of negotiation, I think it would be wise on both parts um, because we, we really still do need more money in education in the state. Mike, is this one of those issues where they could maybe meet in the middle? They're about 2 percent off apart in terms of how much they want to take out. Like, could they meet in the middle and, you know, dole out money to maybe a few of the extra groups of people like Paul is saying and maybe not all, something like that? Oh, definitely. Again, I I think the, the key is getting them in a room and having that discussion about how we want to make this work and how we're going to support it 
and again, bringing business community into the discussion because, again, they're going to be asked to fund a campaign. So, I, again, I, th- I think that having everybody in the room to have that discussion is, is the, would be a good first step. Maybe those kinds of discussions could take place, I don't know, at the, a golf tournament, for example. There's a big one happening in Phoenix <laughs> now that the sun is out. It's uh, resuming. And there will be, according to the Arizona Commerce Authority, uh, these groups of CEOs, business executives coming through. These were the subject of uh, Auditor General's uh, reports and the governor and the, or the attorney general saying that these are unconstitutional. You can't do it. So now the Commerce Authority is saying we're going to ma- mostly have a private group or groups pick up the tab, just a little bit of public money. The attorney general says that's okay. Is this, how, how does this, like optically, how does this seem, do you think, Mike? Well, again, I think the, the, the Commerce Authority has done a great job in helping bring businesses, TSMC and others, to, to Arizona, creating jobs, driving the economy, uh, increasing wages, doing all the things that the Commerce Authority was created to do. And so, again, I think that that having this type of thing using private money is probably a, a good compromise um, to continue doing what the Commerce Authority needs to do. Paul, is it potentially troubling depending on where the money comes from? Well, I mean, certainly always where, you know, where does the money come from is, is a big question. It also has to do with sports. Anytime we're talking about sports tickets, sports events, sports things, you know, um, bringing somebody here to tour uh, something, I don't think we'd bat an eye at that or uh, bringing them to town to, to learn more about our education system or something. I don't think anybody has a challenge with that. It's the, you know, bringing people when, while they're here and exposing them to Arizona. I mean, spring training is a great example. Part of the reason why we've had such great uh, economic success and such great uh, movement, particularly from the Midwest, is because people came out here for spring training, realized what a great place it was and decided to move here. It's the same general principle from a golf tournament to the Super Bowl to anything else. You bring the folks here, you introduce them, you get them to understand um, where we are as a state, and it brings people back. It is a good investment. It's just a challenging investment because it's a, there's a sport involved and the average person says, well, I sure would love to get free <laughs> tickets to go to, a, to, to an event like this. Yeah. Well, so, Paul, do you think this might be the template for these kinds of things going forward? Like, could we see this sort of structure at the men's Final Four, the NCAA tournament, for example, coming to Glendale this spring? Yeah, I, I think this is a good template to, to move forward with that. We have to recognize that these events are not only great for the economy when it comes to bringing people to town, but they're great economically in attracting businesses. And so finding that nexus in a way that's reasonable, I think, is a, is a good spot. And this can be a good template for that. All right. So just a, a minute or so left. There's another big sporting event happening this weekend. Not here. I mean, but just, you know, a little bit up the road. You guys going to Vegas? No. You guys are both shaking your head. All right. Not, not a big fan of Vegas. <laughs> okay. So who, who do you got in the game, Mike? Uh, I'm going with the 49ers. 49ers. Okay. Paul, who do you have? Can't count out Patrick Mahomes and true love between Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift. How many, ta- how many Taylor Swift songs do you know all the lyrics to, Paul? <laughs> Very few. Okay. And what, what are we putting the over-under on number of times Taylor Swift is shown on the broadcast? A Twelve. Twelve. Yeah. Okay. All right. We well, guys are see. We have some bipartisan agreement and, here. And, like and I'm 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 going over. You're going. You're taking the over. Okay. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. Very good. All right. That is Paul Benz, Mike Hayner. Thanks, guys, so much for coming in. I really appreciate the conversation. Thank you. You've been listening to the Friday Newscap from KJZZ's The Show. It's an original podcast recapping the week's biggest stories with experts, commentators, and reporters. You can get the full show podcast at podcast.kjzz.org. I'm Mark Brody. Thanks for listening.